Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I am obsessed. With me? Yes. Oh, okay. That's totally what I meant. (laughs) Not the Great British Baking Show. Oh, my God. You won't stop with the Great British Baking Show. I'll be like, sweetie, we need to uh, record the pot. Not now, they're piping. They're making bunt cakes and they're piping. It's just, it's something that I needed in my life. My soul needed the Great British Baking Show. And <laughs> it's its satisfying something that my, my heart and my soul needed. Between the baking show and uh, social media, I don't see much of you anymore. Uh, actually, Facebook Memories uh, was telling me about how sad my life has become um it was all like katrina we've made a video about your october would you like to see it and i was like yeah i want to see it and it was like katrina you've had a great october you went one place with one person and liked nine of your sister's posts <laughs> that was the end of the video that was it wow <laughs> iPhone has this uh, this new feature that tells you how much screen time that mm-hmm. you've had and what you've spent it on. And I was just looking at mine, uh, 24 minutes productivity, eight hours social media. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to keep up with stuff on our social media pages. Right. It's it's work stuff. Between the social media and the, uh, the emails, that's almost a full-time job now. Right. I've got to, you know, keep up with the, the Instagramming and the Facebooking and find out which European flower I am. Those quizzes are important. Sorry I interrupted you the other day when you were trying to find out uh, which Disney princess you were on a BuzzFeed survey. 
In addition to social media, of course, you know, emails, curator at the box of oddities.com. We've had some amazing messages this week. Oh my gosh. We really did. And do we want to, do we want to talk about the sweet little nugget? Do you want to? Let's talk about the sweet little okay, nugget. Okay, let's talk about the sweet little nugget. Hold on. just came in last night, right? I don't know. I, I've lost all track of time. All I know now is that it's hard it to take pipe on between cake. 11 minutes and 15 minutes to bake a proper sponge. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, we got an email from a mom telling us about her 11-year-old daughter. Um, and she said that her daughter is a lot like her. She's quiet, shy, kind of nerdy, beautiful and fantastic. And of course, she loves her so much. Um, she did say that she doesn't fit in with the popular girls at school. See, that's what I'm talking about, the social media. I, I forgot to mute my phone. Sorry about that. She did say that she doesn't fit in with the uh, quote-unquote popular girls um, and that uh, she's been bullied a little bit. Uh, they've called her names, scratched her, put her down, and she's come home in tears. She said, as a mom, and this is my favorite line, I would love nothing more than to rip the hearts out of her enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. But she goes on to say that instead, um, she shared with her daughter uh, this podcast and how this freak community was a great example for her. Um, that every day she enjoys listening to the strange ramblings of two strangers from Maine who delight her with odd tales and that we let our freak flags fly. And she loved it. So we want to take a moment and uh, give a shout out to Allison. Allison, thank you for hanging out with us and for being interesting and yeah. unique and amazing. And that's, you know, you know. See, here's the thing, Allison. Different is good. And you should be grateful that you are different because it really is. It's a gift. Those who make a difference in the world are the ones who think differently. So those people that are picking on you, those kids that are picking on you, chances are they're just going to be part of the pack. You are going to stand out. You are going to be like a wolf, like me. We're wolves together. We're freak wolves. Who love piping. Especially a fine bunt cake. Keep flying that freak flag, Allison. And don't listen to those bullies. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a term you may have heard of. Don't repeat it, but it's a basic bitch. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it exists for a reason. The idea that, uh, that this little podcast that we're doing can make a difference in a kid's life like that is just uh, my heart's full right now. Yeah. And it makes it really hard to segue into a story about cannibalism. <laughs> By the way, Allison's mom, you might want to take the uh, podcast machine away from Allison just for a few minutes, <laughs> because I'm going to talk about Alfred Packer, the Colorado cannibal. I am not familiar with this. Alfred Packer was born in January of uh, 1842 in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, one of three children. Uh, by the 1850s, he had moved his family to LaGrange County, Indiana, where he worked as a cabinet maker. He served in the Union Army in the American Civil War. He was honorably discharged because uh, he had epilepsy 
He then traveled to the Rocky Mountains and worked uh, in mining-related jobs for about nine years in or catacombs? so. Not in catacombs, necessarily, mm-hmm. but who knows. In November of 1873, according to Wikipedia, Packer joined a guy named Bob McGrew, who had a party of 21 men. And uh, they left Provo, Utah for the gold country around Breckenridge, Colorado. Now... It just sounds like a kicking party, that's all. Yeah, it's it was a kicking party. I want to party with those dudes. It's a sausage party. Ow! Sorry, that got gross. Sorry. So McGrew and his party of 21 men mm. um, needed a uh, an experienced guide to help them through the uh, the mountainous areas. And so they, uh, they hired um, Alfred Packer, an unemployed cabinet maker who had no experience at all. Oh, no. Well, he kind of like conned his way into the job. Oh, sure. sure. There was no Angie's List then. No, there was no (laughs) Angie's List. So they head out into into the mountains. The idea was they wanted to get to this uh, alleged gold-rich area before anybody else, so they left late in the season. On January 21st in 1874, they met Chief Ure, known as, quote, the white man's friend near uh, Montrose, Colorado. Chief Ure recommended that they postpone their expedition until spring because it was late and storm clouds were a-building. Kind of like the Donner Party. Very similar to the Donner Party and uh, not far from where that happened. Well, at least, you know, in the same mountain chain. So Chief Ure allowed the men to stay with his tribe until the winter had uh, passed. But some of the men of the party became restless. They didn't want to hang out. They were afraid... Other explorers, other miners were going to get to this gold before they were going to. And so against uh, Chief Ure's advice, they decided to head out and try to find uh, the government cattle camp near Los Pinos Indian Agency. A guy named O.D. Loschtenheiser and three other men left first. Now, Packer attempted to follow them. He wanted to go, too. Mm -hmm. But Loschtenheiser pointed a revolver at Packer and said uh, if, uh, if he saw him again anywhere on the pass... That he would, uh, there would be, as he put it, trouble. Why? I guess he just, he wanted to take control of that part of the, he he wanted more, it was all greed is what was what drove this. So Packer tucked his tail between his legs and he slunk back to uh, camp where he stayed for about a week and then got restless and decided he was going to strike out on his own along with uh, a few of the other guys from the original party. Okay. Besides Packer, there was, uh, and I love some of the names of these old-timey prospector guys, Frank Reddy Miller, George California Noon. Why do they all have nicknames? Shannon Wilson Bell, James Humphrey, uh, and Israel Swan. The leader of the of the outfit, Bob McGrew, actually uh, went with them at first. He mm-hmm. tried to help them. He was going to guide them out. He only got so far because the snow was so bad, the horses couldn't go any further. So they unloaded the provisions from the horses, and McGrew went back to uh, to camp. Now, what happened after that is unclear. So did McGrew head back to camp with the horses? Yes. And then other people... He left the provisions, Stay. yeah, with okay. the other guys, and um, McGrew said, yeah, good luck to you, bye bye And again, that was February 9th. They hear nothing from any of these guys for months until April 16th. Packer arrives at the Los Pinos Indian Agency near, near Gunnison, Colorado. He runs into uh, one of the former group that had made it already, Preston Nutter, uh, and he said, hey, what happened to uh, the rest of the party? 
Packer claimed that uh, he had, quote, got his feet wet and frozen and the others had abandoned him. He claimed he was broke and he had to sell his Winchester rifle uh, to a Major Downer. That's the guy's name, Major Downer. Yeah, I know him. Who was a justice of the peace and he he sold his rifle, he said, for 10 bucks. So Packer stays at the agency for a, a short time. Then he wanted to return to Pennsylvania and accompanied Nutter and two other members of McGrew's original group to Sawatch where he could buy supplies. Now, during the course of the journey, I guess Nutter saw that Packer had in his possession a skinning knife that had belonged to uh, Frank Reddy Miller. Okay. And so he began to have doubts about Packer's story about being abandoned by these guys. So they reach Sawatch, Colorado. Packer gets a room at a place called Dolan Saloon. Now, Larry Dolan was the guy who owned the place. He claimed that that Packer was throwing money around like it was there was no tomorrow. Like he spent over a hundred dollars during his stay. Wow! And this is eighteen seventy four. Yeah. He even offered to lend the saloon owner three hundred bucks. He spent seventy eight dollars in Otto Mears General Store. Uh, Nutter and other members of McGrew's original party became very suspicious of Packer. And threatened to hang him. General Adams, who was the head of the Los Pinos Indian Agency, stepped in just in time to save Packer. Now, in the meantime, they went through his belongings and they found strips of what appeared to be human flesh. Yeah, he brought along a snack for the journey. Sure. Mm, Allegedly. Allegedly. After being interrogated by General Adams, uh, Packer signed his first confession, which said, quote, Old Man Swan died first and was eaten by the five other persons about 10 days out of camp. Mm -hmm. Four or five days afterwards, Humphreys died and was also eaten. He had about $133. I found the pocketbook and took the money. Sometime afterwards, while I was carrying wood, the butcher was killed, as the other two told me accidentally. And he was also eaten. Bell shot California with uh, Swan's gun and killed Bell. Shot him. I covered up the remains and took a large piece along, then traveling 14 days into the agency. Bell wanted to kill me with his rifle, struck a tree, broke his gun. So what he's claiming is, okay, yeah, I've got their money. I've got part of their buttocks in my saddlebag Mm -hmm. for a snack, but it was all an accident, except for the buttocks in my saddlebag um, for a snack part. But we had to eat them because we were starving. Right. So General Adams believed that if Packer were telling the truth, he would have no problem leading the party to the original campsite. And Packer originally consented to lead the party, but after claiming to be lost and then rushing Constable Herman Lauder with a knife, he was jailed in Sawatch. The jail at the time was just like a log cabin, so it was pretty easy for him to escape. Oh, no. Somebody gave him some some keys to take the irons off and gave him some supplies and he disappeared and was gone for nine years. Why did someone assist him in his escape? No idea. On March 11th in 1883, Packer was discovered by, here's another great name, Jean Frenchy Cabazon. Frenchy Cabazon found him in Wyoming under the uh, living under the alias of John Schwartz. Uh, who was one of the original members of the Utah Mining Party that stayed at uh, Chief Ure's camp during the winter of 74. Cabazon reported Packer to the local sheriff who arrested him and then contacted that General Adams guy again. Adams persuaded uh, Packer to, to make a second confession, 
which he signed on the 16th of March. Instead of claiming that the men gradually killed each other to survive, now he claimed that uh, Shannon Bell had killed the others while Packer was out scouting. Why would his story change to that? Like, how is that? I mean, in what way would that first story have benefited him if the second story was true? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So to make sense of it, on on April 6th, the trial began at Lake City, Colorado. And seven days later, Packer was found guilty of premeditated murder. He was sentenced to death by hanging. Uh, According to a local newspaper, the presiding judge, M.B. Jerry, said, and I'm quoting from the old newspaper article, and this is how it is written. Okay. I'm going to add a little voice to it, though. Oh, good. Stand up, you voracious man-eating son of a bitch, and receive your sentence. When you came to Hinsdale County, there was seven Democrats. But you, you at five of them, goddamn you. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck till you're dead, dead, dead as a warning. Again, reducing the Democratic population of this county. Packer, you Republican cannibal, I'd sentence you to hell, but the statutes forbid it. However, this is what really was said according to court records. Okay. (laughs) Alfred Packer, the judgment of this court is that you be removed from hence to the jail of Hinsdale County, and there confined until the 19th day of May, 1883. And that on said 19th day of May, you will be taken from thence by the sheriff of Hinsdale County to a place of execution prepared for this purpose at some point within the corporate limits of the town of Lake City in the said county of Hinsdale, and between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. of said day, you, then and there, by said sheriff, be hung by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. And may God have mercy on your soul. So, there was fake news back then. Sure, and obviously it was very divisive. What's with the party talk there? Yeah, I know, I know. Let's keep it civil. In 1885, the sentence was reversed by the Colorado Supreme Court as being passed on ex post facto law. In other words, the law had changed since then, so they let him go. I don't know what law it was, because I think murder should probably be... Oh, that's another thing, too. He was sentenced for murder, not for cannibalism, because cannibalism was legal. And by legal, you just mean not illegal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. So his sentence was changed from death by hanging to being convicted of uh, five counts of manslaughter and then sentenced to 40 years, eight years for each count, at another trial in Gunnison. Uh, at the time, this was the longest custodial sentence in U.S. history. Oh, wow. Then on June 19th of 1899, Packer's sentence was upheld by the Colorado Supreme Court. However, he was paroled on February 8th of 1901. Packer went to work as a guard at the Denver Post. Uh, He died in Deer Creek, Jefferson County, Colorado, reputedly of uh, dementia. He was 65 when he died. Packer (laughs) is widely rumored to have become vegetarian before his death. Interesting. Yeah. He was buried in Littleton, Colorado. His grave is marked with a veteran's tombstone listing his original regiment in 1862. Now, do... I mean, we can't know what actually happened. Well, in 1989, 115 years later, they exhumed the five bodies. And James E. Stars, then a uh, professor of law specializing in forensic science at George Washington University, Mm -hmm. uh, led the expedition. 
it was a uh, you know a pretty exhaustive search to find the precise location of the remains. One of Starr's colleagues, Walter Berkby, said, "I don't think there will ever be any way we can scientifically demonstrate cannibalism. Cannibalism, per se, is the ingestion of human flesh. So you'd have to have a picture of a guy actually eating." But they dug up all the bones. They sent them to the university. In 1994, David Bailey, curator of history at the Museum of Western Colorado, undertook an investigation to uh, turn up more conclusive results. In a collection of firearms owned by the museum, a Colt revolver had been reportedly found at the site of Packer's alleged crimes. So they did an exhaustive investigation into the pistol's background, turned up documents from the time of the trial. Upon careful study of Bell, he noticed a severe bullet wound in the pelvic area and that Bell's wallet had a bullet hole through it. Um, he, they also found like metal shards underneath the, his remains, which under an electron microscope, uh, they determined that they matched the spectrograph with uh, bullets remaining in what was indeed Packer's pistol. So while it appears certain that Bell was killed by a gunshot, uh, the question of whether or not it was murder remains unanswered. Mm -hmm. But they did find butcher marks on the bones where pieces had been cut away, and it looked like uh, many of them suffered from head trauma, maybe took a rifle butt to the head and then were carved up. So it's still kind of an unanswered uh, question at this point, but one thing is for sure, uh, human flesh was consumed during this uh, this little camping excursion. Well, yeah, I mean, he took some to go. I, I think it's weird, um, and maybe maybe I'm the weird one, but I just think it's bizarre how much emphasis is put on cannibalism when you know, having eating a dead body is not as bad as killing someone, in my opinion. Like, you're they're already dead, man. Sure, you're just eating them, right? Whatever says the vegetarian and ancestor some, of cannibals. I'm not an ancestor of cannibals, but taking someone's life, but then there's it's always this thing. It's like for some reason, it, it cannibalism carries with it this idea that it's like so awful, and it's like, yeah, but I mean, he killed a dude either way, so meh. Well, here's an update to the story. There is now a restaurant in Colorado called Alfred Packer's Grill. Oh my goodness. Yep. It celebrates the legend of the alleged cannibal in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, which ironically is one of the menu options. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle. Why don't you all gather round? I've got a little story I'd like to tell you. The story of Miracle Mike, the headless chicken. Well, sir, on September 10th, 1945, a farmer in Fruta, Colorado, named Lloyd Olson, grabbed a rooster named Mike and put it on the chopping block. Remembering that his mother-in-law, who was coming to dinner, loved chicken necks, Lloyd took special care to position the ax so a generous portion of the neck would remain. He gave the rooster one strong whack and cut his head off. But then, the headless bird did something strange. He ran around in circles, flapping his wings. At this point, most chickens would have dropped dead. Instead, Mike ran back to the coop, where he joined the rest of the chickens as they pecked for food. Now, this odd bird actually lived without a head for 18 months. Olson used an eyedropper to drip food and water into Mike's gullet. And scientists at the University of Utah determined that the axe had missed the jugular vein and a clotted kept Mike from bleeding to death. 
And although his head was gone, his brainstem and one ear were left on his body. Since a chicken's reflex actions are controlled by the brainstem, Mike's body was able to keep on ticking. Well, seeing dollar signs, Olson took his chicken on the road. Audiences all over the U.S. paid a quarter each to see Miracle Mike with their own eyes. Time and Life magazines ran feature articles on the amazing fowl. Mike even made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. Sadly, in March 1947, after 18 months without a head, Mike choked on some food at a motel in Arizona and died. To honor his memory, every third weekend in May, the town of Fruta holds the Mike the Headless Chicken Festival. The two-day celebration features the 5K Run Like a Chicken Race, egg tosses, pin the head on the chicken, a cluck off, rubber chicken juggling, and the chicken dance. Of course, great quantities of chicken fried and barbecued are enjoyed by all. Heads not included. Uh, once again, fabulous information coming from Strange History, a bathroom reader. It's available on our Goodreads page. Just search Cat and Jethro. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We would like to welcome our latest sponsor to the Box of Oddities, Lola, a modern approach to feminine care. And not a day goes by without people coming up to me and asking me my opinion on feminine care, because I'm a bit of an expert in that area. Okay, I don't know anything about it, so maybe you should do the talking. All right. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes. The founders, Jordana Kier and Alexandra Friedman, started the company with a simple and pretty obvious idea. Women shouldn't have to compromise when it comes to feminine care products. If we care about the ingredients in the food we eat and the beauty products we use, why shouldn't it be the same for our feminine care products? And it's true. Did you know this? The FDA does not require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products. Uh, that's wrong. They should have to do that because you're putting the, those things places. You should know that. Agreed. Thank you for that. Okay. Input. Welcome. <laughs> Lola provides complete transparency about the ingredients found in your tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. So you know what's going up there. And you really liked how it wasn't a giant box with the word tampons on the side of it when you picked it up from the post. <laughs> it's a, it's pretty discreet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Why is it that guys are so freaked out by that? It's like, I don't want people to know that I hang around with a woman who menstruates. <laughs> That's so stupid. And boy, do I menstruate. <laughs> Which is actually awesome because Lola is fully customizable. Everything comes right to your door. You don't have to worry about, do I have what I need? It's just, it's going to show up. It's amazing. And the subscription box, you can mix your products. You can mix the absorbency, the number of boxes, the frequency of delivery. So if you are a, you know, a gentle stream trickling through the forest uh -huh. they got you taken care of if you are a crimson torrent then lola has you taken care of as well okay everything's gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic do good with your purchase for every purchase they donate feminine care products to homeless shelters across the u.s and we know that that's a huge huge yeah. issue in homeless shelters for 40 percent off all subscriptions just visit my lola Enter promo code BOX when you subscribe. That's 40% off 
all subscriptions, visit mylola.com and enter promo code BOX when you subscribe. Coming to you from the very tip of North America, this is the Box of Oddities. While you're on the Google machine, why not go to theboxofoddities.com and get your tickets for February 27th's live show at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. It's going to be fun. We're looking forward to seeing you. I know where we're eating donuts the next morning. Yeah, you've got it planned out in great in great detail. Got a message from somebody in uh, Oklahoma. They're starting a carpool. I think that's a great idea. That's fun. If you want to come from a different state and, and you maybe want to, you know... Freak caravan. Uh, yes, a freak caravan. Then uh, maybe post something on our social media page and maybe you'll be able to connect with some people that want to go to. Theboxofoddities.com. Click on live shows. What do you got? What you got, girl? What you got for me? What do you got for me? What you got for me? What do you got for me? Are you done? What do you got for me? (laughs) Yeah, I'm done. In 2015, in a market in Myanmar. This sounds right. Myanmar. At a market in Myanmar in 2015, there was a chunk of amber being sold Uh, that allegedly contained plant material. And this was discovered by someone who who looked a little bit closer, and scientists did some investigating and discovered that it is not, in fact, plant material inside this amber. It is a beautifully preserved dinosaur tail with feathers still attached to the bone. Oh, this is like a Jurassic Park thing. Gorgeous, beautiful. There are photos of it. It makes me a little bit like weepy that you can see it. I mean, that you can see the feathers. Oh, that's incredible. It's amazing. Okay. So, um, it pretty much the coolest. Um, and it's not the first time that feathers were found trapped in amber, but it was the first time that researchers were able to say this is from a dinosaur and not from an old bird bird relative, but from a dinosaur. And that provides insight into what dinosaurs actually looked like um, and in ways that we weren't able to tell before. So it's relatively recent that we've understood that probably most dinosaurs had feathers. And it's crazy. It, it's mind blowing. Um, using detailed uh, CT scans and uh, microscopes to observe the structure of the feathers, the team predicted that the tail belonged to a young coelurosaur, which is a family of bird-like carnivorous dinosaurs that lived around 99 million years ago during the Cretaceous era. That and is, you can see his feather. That's fascinating that that you can connect that all the way back to Wow, 99 million years. And uh, scientists said that because the... Now, this is where I'm just saying words that I'm reading, so prepare yourself. Okay. Because the vertebrae are not fused into a rod or pygostyle, as in modern birds and their closest relatives, the tail is long and flexible with keels of feathers running down each side, which is how they were able to tell that it was not a prehistoric bird, that it was actually a dinosaur. And as far as the researchers know, this was the first non-avian dinosaur feather found preserved in amber. In 2014, a research team investigating a slab of rock found by a farmer that contained nearly a complete skeleton with feathers 
in the fossil, the feathers themselves had obviously decayed, but they left impressions in the rock around the fossilized bones. So when they investigated, and this this blows my mind, they were able to see within the fossil that the feathers were built in such a way that the melanosomes that were in the feathers closely resembled the iridescent rainbow-hued feathers of hummingbirds. Wow, uh, like like that metallic kind of green. Yeah, that shimmery, Ooh. shiny, different from different lights kind of. I would love to have seen Amazing, that. Amazing, right? <laughs> the dinosaur also marked the earliest appearance discovered of asymmetrical feathers. So in modern birds, asymmetrical feathers are in the wings used for flight control. Sure. But in this dinosaur, the Kai Hong Juji, they appeared in the tail, which suggested that they have may have had like a different flying style altogether. So these dinosaurs flew? Yes. Oh, wow. In the, the 2014 fossil, not the 2016 fossil. Okay, okay. So 2016 fossil was of a, I, for, I forgot how I said it, Celiosaur, something like that. Um, and he <laughs> was like a raptor type dinosaur um he looked like a tiny little t-rex with feathers on him and they were kind of like a brown and white as far as they can tell so brown on the top and white underneath and kind of like adorable right before he'd eat your face yes he would absolutely eat your face but this uh bird-like dinosaur the the kai hong juji um, he was the one that had the kind of hummingbird-like feathers. And he was also pretty different in that he had a long, narrow skull and short forelimbs proportioned more like birds today than the dinosaur group that he belonged to. So he was different in a lot of ways, which <clears throat> blows my mind because in my head, dinosaurs are these big, bulky, brown, green, or gray-looking, leathery-type animals. Sure, And... And what we're learning now is that some of them, maybe many of them, were instead these brightly colored, beautiful things that had so many more dimensions to them and that the feathers were used likely uh, for the same kinds of things that they are today, you know, for mating and for like, hey, check this out. (laughs) You like the looks of this? I do very much flipping them multicolored feathers around. So so you're talking about like a giant carnivorous peacock. <laughs> Something like that, yes. Okay. So this one, uh, Kai Hong Juji, lived around 161 million years ago in the Jurassic period. And he, like I said, combines these old uh, bird-like dinosaur features with new bird-like features. And he had a crest on his beak, which if if it were, a, I think it was if it was a boy, he had the crest. If it's a girl, then she wouldn't have had the crest. Again, showing that they had these fancy features for, for mating reasons. Sure, yeah, they wanted to attract a mate. Right. Scientists are really interested in continuing study of this particular dinosaur because it shows so many unique features to other fossils that we've been able to find so far. So um, what made this one different and what made um, the way that its bones were built and the way that its feathers were colored? Why? Why was it so different from the rest? And is it more common than we thought 
or it, was he kind of a one-off? Did that just not make it evolutionarily? It's fascinating because really up until recently, all we've had to go on are the fossil, is the fossil record. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, uh, fossilized bones or imprints in, in the strata. And there's no way you can tell really definitively what the colors of these creatures were or what they sounded like. But little by little, we're starting to find these things out. Right. Um, In talking about the unusual traits, one of the scientists said that he has a rather velociraptor-looking low and long skull with this fully feathered, shaggy kind of plumage and a big fan tail. You want to cuddle with him, don't you? I love him so much. He's been dead for 160 million years, I'm just sweetie. saying. Sounds pretty amazing to me. I really get excited about stuff like this. I remember when we were at the Smithsonian uh, a few years ago, and I saw fossilized dinosaur poop. Yeah. And I just, you know, I wanted my picture taken with it. I took selfies of me and fossilized dinosaur poop. Mm-hmm. I had to put on my coffee mugs. I had like a, me and a fossilized dinosaur poop turd on my coffee mug it was a it was a beautiful day it's one that my heart smiles every time i think of it's like the day that we saw that uh, mummy penis that's a whole other story that was a special day this is what they think he looks like wow yeah he looks like a really evil chicken no yeah no so beautiful a really evil beautiful chicken no look at his look See, that's not how I would, if if I just looked at that picture not knowing the story, I would not say that's a dinosaur. I would say it's some sort of uh, eagle-emu hybrid. No. Yeah, that's what I would say. In fact, I just I just said it. Anyway, that's that's what I have for you regarding the amazing, gorgeous, hummingbird-like feathered dinosaur. That is fascinating growing up as a kid i wanted to be an archaeologist i didn't yeah i wanted to like go dig bones and stuff and i remember at about six years of age my mom was trying to encourage me oh yeah you should be that's a great vocational option you should be an archaeologist and so she bought me this little toy archaeologist kit Mm -hmm. and told me to go dig up dinosaur bones in the sandbox oh yeah. Unfortunately, there were a lot of cats in the neighborhood. And, oh, no. Yeah. And I don't think they were quite fossilized, but it was pretty close. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. Good times. Remember that fossil kit that I got you for Christmas a couple years ago? Yes. That was fun. That was fun. And there was no cat poop in it. I always appreciate gifts that don't include cat feces. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, you're okay, I guess. The box of oddities drops out of the internet and lands in your sandbox twice a week. Don't forget to get your tickets to the live show, theboxofoddities.com. We'd love to see you in Nashville. And we will be back on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast 
on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.